Again, we have asked for an explanation, my legal team. We have received nothing. I have never done anything that is violent. I'm not a violent person. I've never condoned violence, never will. I am first and foremost a Christian. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm secondly American, and I'm thirdly Latina. I am not racist. I am not homophobic. I am not a white supremacist. I am not part of some violent group. And you know, it's it's so weird. I only started being called these things by trolls on the internet after I came out talking about my conservative views and my religious views. If you're conservative, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've been dealing with this for over a year now. So based on the interaction Sephora has had, and responding to comments who specifically reference my conservative views, what do you, why do you guys think that they don't want me to represent their brand? I was just sent my legal team a settlement saying they will pay me if I sign an agreement saying I will stay silent and not talk about them and not talk about what has happened. This is so much bigger than me getting paid that was Amanda Ensing, who is a uh, an influencer on Instagram. She uses Sephora products. Um, just, you know, I'm sure she's one of these who makes YouTube videos about how to do your makeup, and then she's got kind of a lifestyle brand behind her. Uh, I honestly don't know much about her, except that she's got a website called www.makemakeupgreatagain.com. Um, she's got 1.4 million followers on Instagram. I think she's kind of a big deal or big-ish deal on Instagram and Sephora canceled her that video that I just uh, played for you has over 300,000 views already um, so before we get real deep in the weeds with her because I do want to talk some more about her and um, the cancellations in general uh, I got to tell you about Black Rifle Coffee I'm, I'm gonna keep screaming BRCC at you until you go and buy some coffee. Um, well, really, until they give me a discount code so I can know if you're buying coffee or not. Uh, so, hashtag give me a discount code. Black Rifle Coffee, greatest, most American cup of coffee you're going to get. It's, uh, it's super fresh when you place an order. They The bean that has not been roasted yet is what you're going to get. Once you click submit your order, they mail it to you, so it's COVID-friendly. And the, the difference really is in that freshness. I think off the first cup of coffee, you're going to recognize if you were to A to B test uh, Black Rifle Coffee to your local grocery store or even, God forbid, Folgers, if that's what you're drinking, um, you're going to notice the difference right away. And then on top of that, uh, they have a subscription program. So you set it up once a week, once every other week, once a month, once every other month, whatever you want, they will ship you that bag of coffee and then... Something that I really appreciate, I haven't actually heard anybody who is sponsored by Black Rifle say this, but one thing I really appreciate is that before they send out your monthly subscription, they give you an email and they say, hey, you got until I think like two days or something to modify your subscription. So let's say you decided, oh, I like this roast, but I want to try something new. Then it'll be like, dang, I need to jump in there real quick, switch over from Just Black to Five Alarm, whatever. And then that's what will be shipped to you. So I think that's cool. I really appreciate that. Um, but no no discount code, but head over to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Check them out. They're huge on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't seen their videos, um, man, I don't, I don't know where you've been because they're all over the place. They are blowing up right now. Uh, 
Other than that, of course, Cross and Musket Apparel. Check us out on Instagram, Cross and Musket, uh, at Cross and Musket. We are, we're going to get the, the apparels, the t-shirts and stuff like that going strong here soon. I've been pouring pretty much, other than my actual 40-hour-a-week job, I've been pouring most of my free time into the podcast, trying to get this going, um, trying to cover all my bases and know what the hell I'm talking about. And that's exhausting at times. So I haven't put as much effort to the apparel company as I could. I apologize for that. But uh, especially approaching summer, we will get that going hard again. Uh, so for now, just check us out on Instagram, Cross and Musket. And uh, you can check out right there on the same window and use promo code Insta for 20% off. Very high quality t-shirts. They wash up well. They don't wrinkle super easily. They're soft. They're cool in the summer. Uh, just just a great t-shirt. So use promo code Insta for 20% off at checkout. And uh, with that being said, if you do know any cool companies, and I don't just mean like, oh, th- this person sells this, uh, I don't know, cool hat or whatever. I, I, I want to use any marketing dollars, uh, any efforts that the podcast does. I want that to go to companies that don't just have a cool product, but they... They have a cool story or a cool mission or they, they do good things with their profits. Um, that's who I want to try and support with the show. So one reason why I love Black Rifle Coffee is they donate a lot of their proceeds to um, a lot of their uh, profits to veterans organizations, law enforcement, first responders. Uh, and so that's a great thing. And then Cross and Musket Apparel portion of our profits go, of course, to the podcast. But then also we donate to a local charity that provides a home for mothers who are basically it's either I abort or I cannot take care of this child. And so the, uh, this um, nonprofit, which I will go into detail once a little bit down the road, I got to set up a couple of things there, but uh, they provide just an alternative to that. They provide a place for the mother to stay, to be taken care of medically and then um, give birth to the baby. And so it's just a, it's a great mission in, in my opinion. So I want to support stuff like that. Um, it doesn't have to be a nonprofit. It could be retail. Of course it could be hats and t-shirts or whatever. Um, I just want them to be doing cool, good things with their money, not just trying to cash in. So that's my, uh, I'll get off my soapbox as far as that goes now. I mean, they might as well call this podcast the soapbox because that's basically all I do. Um, all right. So sponsors out of the way. You might notice that I don't really talk a whole lot about impeachment today, and that's on purpose. Impeachment, I mean, just everything I'm reading right now, it's not going to happen. We talked about it last episode, and I think the one before that. Um, the The Democrats are going to need 67 votes, meaning with a split house, it's 50-50. They need 17 Republicans to come over and say that, yes, Donald Trump should be impeached again and disqualified from running for office again. Now, remember that, I guess now we're talking about impeachment. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> leading up to the impeachment trial, so after the House passed, uh, uh, accused Trump of inciting violence on January 6th, uh, they had to take a vote to even allow the impeachment process to proceed because there were so many who were saying that it is actually just unconstitutional. So they do have to procedurally do a vote to, to hear the impeachment case from the House and they they did vote yes. They had the majority. I think they got like six or seven Republicans. Well, I should rephrase that. They were only able to scrape together six or seven Republicans to even say that the impeachment hearing itself was constitutional to begin with. 
So if they could only get that many to even say like, yes, I don't think impeachment should happen necessarily, but we should at least see the case because it is constitutional. How the hell are they going to get 17 now to say, you know, not only is this unconstitutional, well, they would need to get 10 more. Not only is this unconstitutional, but yeah, go ahead and impeach them. Like, it's not going to happen. So that being said, um, I, I'm not going to spend any more time on impeachment. I, I'm done with it. <laughs> so done with it. Um, so on that opening audio, Amanda Enzing, again, canceled by Sephora. She had a, a, some kind of an affiliate um, set up like a program uh, since she's an influencer on Instagram. Again, millions of followers. She's not just some me, not just some nobody who's saying whatever that, you know, whatever she wants to say. She is somebody with a following. So of course, those are the people that get targeted. Um, she came out pro-Christian, pro-conservative, pro-Trump, anti-silencing. You know, I don't even know what she has said about Trump, really, to, to be honest there. I'm assuming what her viewpoints might be as everybody else is. Um, but all that we, all that I've seen just in the front of the news is that she was canceled because she's had conservative viewpoints. We also saw the, um, uh, oh crap, what's her name from the Mandalorian get fired because she compared what's happening to conservative voices right now, which is targeting people and silencing them 100% based off of their political viewpoints. Um, she was com comparing that to Nazi Germany. Obviously, we're not there yet, but it's the yet that says, hey, maybe we should listen to these voices instead of silencing them. Um, but anyway, so she was canceled as well. And so, you know, I'm noticing a trend of Hollywood, the news, social media. They all seem to have this love and, and affection for strong women who, you know, stand up for what they believe in and they're, um, they're out there protesting they're out there speaking at events to promote some ideology or some nonprofit or whatever it is you know and a lot of that's great you know cool go for it i've got no problem with that the problem lies when they seem to there there seems to be a limit to how much they appreciate strong vocal opinionated women who won't be swayed and that that seems to be a political line they don't like certain types of women who are strong because of their political viewpoints and i've got a problem with that beyond that though what's the what's the positive takeaway amanda enzing isn't backing down and, and I, I don't think the um the person from the uh, mandalorian is going to back down at all uh and that to me is is a positive thing to take away because we've seen so much where these people come out and they say something and, we're, and as conservatives or even as a liberal you see somebody in hollywood saying something and you're like yes that that is that's the truth. That's what I've been waiting for somebody to say. Like it or not, that was the success of Trump. He said the things that the average American was thinking but couldn't say. And he said, F it, I'm going to say it. So when I see somebody like Amanda standing up to a corporation like Sephora, I'm proud. I'm proud to see people from my generation not just rolling over and playing along to get along. We're, we're done. I think as a generation, we are done with that. Hope, hopefully as a country, but I'm more focused in, I guess, representative of or represented by people from my generation. Amanda is 29. I am 29. Uh, so just this millennial generation that's coming out of this political turmoil and saying, we can do better. Instead of seeing as a victim, like, oh man, our country is so torn, torn apart. We see it as victors and we say, 
I can change that. I can be part of something better. So that that is what inspires me and what encourages me to do what I'm doing now. And and even if it's for a smaller, much smaller network, just putting out positive conservative voice. I love it. Um, so I'm going to follow her on Instagram because I want to I want to keep up with what's going on. Um, so if if you want to follow her as well, uh, her Instagram handle is uh, at Amanda Ensing, which is at A M A N D A E N S I N G, and uh, like I said, she's not just uh, a whoever on Instagram. One point four million followers, and uh, she she is uh, just your typical social media influencer, and she's using her voice for something other than just trying to get rich off of it. And so I have to appreciate that. So moving on, uh, you might have noticed the title of the podcast. Um, I don't know if anybody else thinks this is funny, but maybe you will, it, or it's just me. Either way, I'm cool. Uh, there's this um, article out basically talking about IBM and Salesforce linking together to create a, um, what can you call it? Well, I'll call it what they call it, a vaccine passport. And we've all heard about this. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, at least in the news that I follow, I've heard about this and it's always been kind of a, how are we going to do this? How are we going to move from COVID-19 back to having live events, being able to get on a plane, um, things like that, uh, and try to finally get rid of these masks. Um, so IBM is linking up with Salesforce to try and create this vaccine passport, which is essentially, I would envision it to be like, if you get a, a, a pass on your phone, if you got an iPhone, there's a wallet app. And you can have your Starbucks card on there. You can have gift cards. You can have your uh, airline boarding pass, things like that. And so it is a digital wallet. Obviously, that's where the technology is going. Um, my maybe not even concern. I let's let's call it. I noticed the irony in this article, and I'll explain why. There's a book called IBM and the Holocaust. Uh, I actually just found it recently. It's something that I've been trying to read. It is a thick-ass book, and it is, and it is not an easy read. Uh, so I've been taking it in, in small chunks. Essentially, what it points out is that IBM assisted Germany back in the 40s, back during World War II, with creating their numbering system for tracking prisoners, i.e. the Jewish people. So IBM enabled the Holocaust. Let's be real. The book goes into a lot of detail, obviously, but essentially IBM back then would do business with anybody and everybody. And they had, there's no computers back then. It was a counting machine, essentially. And it allowed them to use these punch cards to have this punch means ethnicity. This punch means age. This punch means gender. This punch means origin, things like that. And so then they were able to have all these punch punch cards in this machine and then they could sort, just like you would a filter bar in Microsoft Excel. And so what that allowed them to do is it allowed them to filter out certain people, undesirables. Well, we want certain people, obviously, based off of um, ethnicity, blood type, or whatever it was. And so that enabled the system to, the barcodes, the tattoos you see on Holocaust victims, survivors, um, I know that I hate that word victims that I've heard before. They like to be called survivors, not victims. Um, anyways, <laughs> sorry, a little anecdote there. Um, so that enabled that barcode system where then these people can be tracked and they were tracked with efficiency shipped fr- on train from 
camp to camp from prison to prison and sorted within the prisons based off of what their function was going to be, whether it was let's kill them now or let's put them to work doing whatever until they're useless, then we'll kill them. So all of that was possible because of these counting machines. And that came out of the business that was IBM. What well, was IBM, you know, like there's a IBM France, IBM Spain or whatever, you know, it was, there's a division of it that was Germany or that region. It, but it was very much controlled by IBM. I think they were based out of New York. So anyways, the irony, I'm not saying that IBM's going to do this again. I probably spent way too much time talking about that book. Um, but the irony is the fact that they did it back then and now they're leading the effort to essentially put a tag on all of us saying, have you been vaccinated or not? And we all are seeing already what vaccination is going to affect. It's going to affect everything down to businesses are now have, have been shown that they can hire and fire based off of, they can require vaccination. Obviously, schools can require vac- vaccination. Airplanes. So very quickly, your decision on whether to get the vaccine or not, I've already made my decision, but your decision can immediately and in real time, very quickly affect your job, your travel, your investing, things like that. So I wanted to bring that up specifically because of that, because I think it is something that it may turn out to be just fine. It may not be an issue and I hope so, but there's just a little bit of, you know, irony there that I think we should all be aware of. Moving on out of South Dakota. Um, and to be honest, I haven't done a refresh of this story. I read this a few days ago, but there is an article, uh, out of South Dakota. Um, there's a Republican lawmaker there who's introduced a bill to reject Biden's executive orders. And so what they want to do, this is HB one, one nine, four quoting introduced by newly elected Republican state rep, Aaron Aylward comes as Biden has issued a flurry of executive orders and actions during his first weeks in office, despite previously arguing that only, quote, dictators rule by executive orders, end quote. So the article is is just pointing to the fact that this is a challenge. It's what brought this to fruition. And that's an important word. What made it actually happen is because of Joe Biden's flurry of executive orders and actions, um, which he has already said he wouldn't want to do but he's doing them. I think Donald Trump's worst year with executive actions or or the year he made the most executive orders was like 67 or 68 in like 2017 or 18. And Biden's already got, I think approaching 60 for January of his first year. So (laughs) he's not shy about using that executive pen. Um, in an interview quoting the article, In an interview with local news outlet KELO-TV, Aylward insisted that the legislation is not just a response to recent action from Biden, but is intended to push back against the steady expansion of executive power in the U.S. in general. And that's important because increasingly presidents are using that executive order to get around Congress. And then you have to bring in the judicial system to weigh in about whether it was constitutional constitutional or not. And we saw that with Obamacare, where Obama just wanted to circumvent Congress because Congress was performing its duties and it was too split to, to, to proceed through Congress. So Obama said, fine, I'll just use an executive pen. 
which then force the judicial branch to weigh in on that. And what that does, you can it's whether it's intentional or not, what that does is it inserts our Supreme Courts into political issues that are short-term, short-sighted, instead of focusing on constitutional issues that are that are actually constitutional issues, instead of something that Congress just needs to handle. And it's kind of like, you know, I was told growing up, one second, I need a drink. I was told growing up, sometimes praying and getting a no doesn't mean, you know, people, uh, God, God's not doing anything. And it's like, oh God, why aren't you listening to me? Are you even awake? Like, come on, wake up, bro. And well, it's like, no, no was the, was the answer. And sometimes we have to expect that. And I think that that's what is kind of happening here. You had Congress say no, and that was an answer, but Obama went went ahead with it anyways, and then now Supreme Court's getting involved. That's not cool. So what this would allow states to do is to review executive orders and say whether or not it lines up with their with a state constitution. All of our 50 states have a constitution that more or less mirrors the United States Constitution, but it does give them super, uh, they can supersede a federal level executive order. Quoting the article, under the legislation, the state's attorney general would be able to exempt South Dakota from any executive order, quote, that restricts a person's rights, end quote, or is determined, quote, to be unconstitutional, end quote, as long as the order relates to the following. And then it gives a list of certain things that the, um, that a, that an executive order has to meet as far as human rights and, and, uh, constitutional liberties, things like that. So we won't go into that. Um, but I wanted that to be under radar because I think depending how that turns out, that could be a, um, a template for how other states respond. If Joe Biden continues to, I would say, abuse the executive privilege. Um, and I would expect Texas to come out with something like that as well. If we don't already have it, that'd be something to look into. Um, so moving on, we saw, uh, I've been trying to not talk so much about uh, Great Reset, things like that. But I told you this week that I have been trying to just surf through the World Economic Forum site because one, I read off to you uh, the other day, some of the people who have already signed on to the World Economic Forum and Great Reset Agenda and people who are committed to using their profits, their investment dollars to push a great reset to happen. And it's people like Apple, it's everybody, Goldman Sachs. Um, I mean, just everybody is involved. Citibank, the, of course, all the big lenders are involved. Um, Coca-Cola, it's, it's very unsettling because it's, this is something that I was never asked. I haven't seen this in on American news. I haven't seen this discussed. And yet they are conspiring, I would say, as the global billionaires, the leaders in infrastructure, monetary investment, cash management, all of these things, they are conspiring together to effectively flip the world, to reset the world. And that's a huge deal. And so I want to know what they're saying. So I've been reading their their articles. I saw an article about carbon offsetting because we saw, I think I played the audio on Monday of John Kerry saying that because he uh, he's able to fly a plane to go to a um, a climate change forum. He accepted some climate change award and he was asked, is flying a private jet 
not just a jet in general, you know, I mean, you could take a passenger plane and I'd be like, all right, yeah, at least he tried. No, he's taking a private jet, really? And he, and so is that really the best way to fight climate change? And John Kerry's response was basically, well, for somebody like me, that's the only option. Like, well, no, there's a, there's a, there's 1747 sitting on runways. Like there, there's a way to get there. If you're true, if you really believe that people taking their private jets, because he would never give that benefit of the doubt to anybody else. He would never say, well, for him, unless it's somebody like him, this is political elite who is, well, I'm not going to go down that road. Um, so one of his justifications was, he says, well, I offset my carbon footprint. Um, and so I'm like, what is, what exactly does that mean? Um, and I found an article out at the World Economic Forum about carbon offsetting. And if you read down through the article, I mean, it's essentially there's planting trees and things like that. Um, you can calculate your carbon footprint by analyzing how your activities generate CO2. Everything from lighting and heating to the data centers that host your business software right through to the ink and paper for your printers. And of course, your business travel, it all adds up. And so all that makes sense to me. You know, I've heard that before. I've heard about the planting trees and uh, the article mentions investing in reforestation. But the, the scary part for me and, and the precursor to my fear here is an uh, a episode of Black Mirror. And where they, they go into a social credit score, which is already being utilized in China. I think I've mentioned that before. And they're using these social scores. It's, instead of a credit score based off of your income and your past history paying bills, loans, and things like that. This is a credit score in China. The social credit score is based off of certain social issues. And it's coming to America. They're already talking about it. I, I have an article about that on the World Economic Forum. Um, when I, I'm going to do an entire episode about specifically stakeholder capitalism and how they are using, they're going to utilize a social credit score, something like that. And I'm assuming part of that is going to be what I'm about to talk about here, uh, to instead of, or in, in addition to, you can have amazing credit score as you know it now, but if your social credit score isn't there, if you're not reducing your carbon emissions and things like that, it's going to be harder to get approved. That it's it's fact. It's all out there. So this is not hyperbole. This is not um, hypothetical. I'm not guessing here. This is stuff they've already said they're going to do or that they want to do. Um, but where the article gets weird for me is it does approach that that social credit score. It says, "quote Now you can buy, not earn. Now you can buy carbon credits to establish an on ongoing program of carbon offsetting, so that for every action." a new division or building, a new fleet of vehicles or a flight and so on, you simply buy more credits to cancel out your emissions. I'm still quoting here. Those credits are related to a wide array of environmentally friendly projects, such as protecting the Amazon rainforest or providing renewable electricity to communities and developing economies. So, okay, let's translate that. Because, I mean, this is blowing my mind as I'm reading this again. You're buying a carbon credit... So you're, you're giving a dollar. That's what that is. You are giving a dollar to, I don't know, doesn't say. Whoever manages this carbon credit score, I guess. You're giving that to whoever those people are 
to establish an ongoing program of carbon offsetting so that for every investment, every time you give a dollar, for every action, the article says, a new division or building, a new fleet of vehicles or a flight and so on. So when you've done these things that are no-nos for carbon emissions, you give a dollar and you simply buy more credits to cancel out your emissions. But then where do those dollars go? They're not specific to, okay, I'm going to invest in reducing carbon emissions in my local community where I'm affecting negative change, according to these people. You're affecting negative change here by driving your car, and then you're giving a dollar related to a wide array of environmentally friendly projects, such as protecting the Amazon rainforests or providing renewable electricity to communities and developing economies. What have Republicans, conservatives, what have we been bitching about for years and years now? Well, it's the offset of, it's the other side, the flip side of that coin the left has been complaining about, which is wealth inequality. So the flip side of that is wealth redistribution. So if you're saying there's too many rich people over here and too many poor people, we're going to take money from the rich by taxing them heavily, redistributing that through you know benefits, infrastructure, things like that, that might assist lower income people to raise their income. Now move that to a global scale, which exactly which is exactly what this is doing. They're going to take that dollar that you use to buy a carbon credit to offset you living your freaking life. And they're going to use that dollar and redistribute it to countries that are developing, developing economies. How does that make any sense? So you might remember from history class a term called indulgence. I did not. I just came across it as I was researching this. Um, I don't remember anything from high school, really. But this word term indulgence is when the Catholics at the time, they had a doctrine called indulgence, which basically allowed you to pay money to the church because the church was the people affiliated with church leadership were living such extravagant lifestyles. They allowed you to pay money to the church to get you can essentially get spirit credits here. <laughs> and so th- these carbon credits are, are the equivalent to these spirit credits where you can help yourself avoid purgatory and go straight to heaven, or you can actually buy an escape from purgatory for a dead relative. Complete scam. I mean, obviously, but of course, back then people fell in, fell for it. And what do you know? Here we are in the 21st century and people are going to fall for it again. They're going to, you're going it, to, it is, the, the term that I was hesitant to use is repentance. And you've, you've heard many conservatives over the years talk about this new green movement, this new uh, climate change movement, not just worrying about the environment, but really the, the religious, almost cult side to reducing carbon emissions and carbon footprints and things like that. So John Kerry was asked, why did you just sin by flying a jet to a climate change meeting? Well, I offset my carbon emissions. I repented. I repented of that. I, I prayed. God forgave me for that. That's that's just that's how it feels to me. Maybe I'm completely wrong there. Um, so the question for me was: Can normal Americans offset their carbon emissions? I mean, realistically, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like I could offset me having to drive to work every day, or my wife having to drive to work, or I got to take a flight somewhere. So how are we going to offset that? Well, we're going to buy carbon credits. 
And do you think there's going to be an app, like there's an app to buy Bitcoin? Is there going to be an app to buy carbon credits? I 100% doubt it. The carbon credit is going to come in as a carbon credit tax or a carbon credit fee that you're going to pay involuntarily out of every single paycheck. I may be wrong, but that's just kind of where my my brain's going. Um, and I watch a lot of sci-fi movies, so I'm kind of an expert. Um, but before we move off of that article, <laughs> uh, before we move on, um, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't want to move on too quickly because I want to convey how realistic this feels. And again, not because some commentator said, oh, this is probably what they're thinking. You know, I don't have a Glenn Beck or a Sean Hannity or a Rachel Maddow saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is something that's on a web page somewhere that is endorsed by multi-billion dollar multinational companies that are conspiring to change our lives. It's not a conspiracy. And when I say it out loud, it feels like a conspiracy, which is why I've bookmarked the World Economic Forum pages and all of their little sub pages because it's their words. It's them saying we have the ability and this is what we want to do with our ability. And I haven't seen anywhere in there where it's like pending legislation or, you know, maybe people won't accept it. No, it's this is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to use our money and our influence to push. So that is um, my concern <laughs> at this point. Um, so I'll jump off of that. I, I promise one of these days I'm going to have a jingle for when I want to bring up something about the Great Reset. And so maybe that'll I'll disguise my conspiracy theories in a, a, a catchy jingle. You'll look forward to it. You'll, you'll be, yes, Great Reset talk. Um, probably not. Anyways, I need some Black Rifle. So tasty. Um, I saw a Washington Post article I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, this is from Greg Sargent or Sargent. I'm not sure. Sorry, Greg. Uh, the title is Opinion. Trump lawyer David Schoen's crazy theory on Hannity unmasks the GOP's ugly core. So I pulled a few quotes from this because it's another one of those articles. I've been reading these to you because I'm trying to not read to you from conservative articles. I'm trying to read to you from leftist, Democrat-leaning, progressive, liberal news journals, news articles. Because I want to, not, I'm not trying to translate or mansplain or dumb this down. I'm, 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 I'm looking into this critically because I don't understand. I realized at some point, my way of thinking seems 100% right to me. And if somebody thinks differently, well, they've got to be wrong, right? Like I, I've... You can ask my wife and, and she'll, she'll laugh out loud to my face and then say, yes, this is 100% correct, that there are so many times where I believe I am right. And she is saying, honey, you know, you're wrong. And I'm like, woman, no, no, I'm not like that. I promise <laughs> she'd kill me. Uh, she'd kick me in the nuts first and then kill me. <laughs> so I said, no, like, look, I mean, I, I explain it very rationally. I got points and sub points and, and references and all this stuff. And like, no, this is, this is the truth. And she's like, no. And then what do you know? I'm wrong. And, and I'll have this little moment of, I, I remembered that happening or I, I, I remembered that feeling or saying that, or somebody saying that to me, my parents would tell you the same thing. I'd argue with a stop sign. <laughs> and anyways, so that leads me now bringing that to the podcast. 
I can't just be reading articles or listening to commentators who agree with me. I got to listen to the other side. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. Washington Post, to me, their their commentary side is extremely left-leaning, but their just reporting at times can be very good because while I can definitely detect the bias, there's a lot of fact. There's a lot of links to other articles that aren't just their own. There's a lot of um, proof behind what they're saying. And, and so, anyways, I have a few quotes that I want to read. Um, but first, I want to read to you the first sentence of the article and tell me how which direction this guy leans. <laughs> and not saying it's right or wrong, but tell me the bias isn't there. It's instructive to venture into the confines of Sean Hannity's universe. Sean Hannity, very prominent host of a Fox News program and a radio show. Back to the article. So he's saying it's important to venture into the confines of Sean Hannity's universe because it often showcases the propaganda being injected into the GOP base's veins in its most venomous form. Most people who are conservative would tell you that Sean Hannity is not the conservative voice. He is not the most conservative person out there. He's leaning more to, I mean, he was one of the first to accept Donald Trump as the best option, which I still disagree that he was the best option or a best option. Um, so this person already thinks that everybody just takes what Sean Hannity says and never thinks critically. We just, Oh, Sean Hannity said it. That must be fact. And that doesn't sit well with me because I think most people on my side of the aisle, we try to know what it is we believe. We try to be able to back up our opinions. And if we don't, we can't back up our opinions, we like to just stay out of it. Um, so anyways, the article just rubbed me the wrong way from the get-go. But then talking about these people who have been arrested for their connections with uh, the rioting um, on January 6th at the Capitol building. Quoting this article, more than two dozen cited Trump. For, you know, for their reason for, for rioting. They said that he was the one who told them to do it. One woman who recruited for the assault said days before, quote, Trump wants all able-bodied patriots to come. A QAnon supporting man wrote in advance that if Trump called for attacking the Capitol, he'd do it. He was following Trump's marching orders. So these were all quotes from people before they attacked the Capitol. And so there is no forgiveness. There's no explaining that away. They believed that they were working for Trump and many of them believe that Donald Trump would pardon them um, because he would, he would stay as president. Ridiculous. I mean, obviously I don't, I don't know how many times or how, what other ways we can say that, but they keep repeating that because people felt they were working for Trump, that he was employing them, not disputing that. But just because a guy tries to wash your car every morning you know, he's trying, you know, people like in New York that are trying to wash the windows and get a little tip for it doesn't mean he works for you, right? So how can we assign the beliefs of every person there who attacked the, attacked the Capitol, assign what they believe they were doing or why they were doing it or who they were doing it for? Can you really assign those motives to somebody who was saying they were not working for me? Somebody who called for peace multiple times. It's, it's ridiculous. And I'm not going to attach that to the impeachment talk because I'm done with the impeachment. I promise. I promise. I promise. <laughs> that to me, talking about the, somebody washing your windows or you know mowing your grass every day and then he does something bad and they say, well, hey, he, he worked for you. I'm like, no, no, I don't know who that guy is. That's just his Bob. I don't know. He's homeless. <laughs> 
I keep thinking about how stupid I felt, um, or how stupid I thought that uh, Harry Potter was. And in, in, if you've never read the books or seen the movies, it, this you don't have to to understand this. He kept calling. They had this this group of people they were training to use magic, and he called it Dumbledore's army. And I remember thinking, even when I read the books back in like middle school, like you idiot, why would you call that Dumbledore's army? Because once you get discovered. They're going to be like, oh, Dumbledore was trying to have an army. That's And that's exactly what happened. And I, and I remember sitting there reading the book, and I'm like, you idiot. Like, why would you do that if you actually wanted to help? And so these people, they went to the Capitol. They did something they knew was illegal, and they got caught for it. Now they're in prison, and they're talking. If you really believed that you were working for Trump, that you were supporting Trump's efforts, why would you say that you were? I don't know. Like to me, it just doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the article also goes on to say it's important to emphasize this in communicating to his supporters for months that the election had been stolen from them. Trump told them in every which way that they were the victims of a, of a tyrannical injustice that could be rectified only by overturning the official election results. I would agree with that, but in a different phrasing. I don't believe that he wanted to convinced them to overturn the election results i would say that donald trump convinced these people because if that was the case they would have rioted on january 20th instead of january 6th the lie the the falsehood the misinformation from trump and his lawyers to americans was that that responsibility lied with congress that congress on january 6th was supposed to just do whatever they wanted to do and that's false certification of the votes was this is how the votes have been given to us. The states have now all done whatever it is they felt was right to certify these votes. Now Congress federally certifies that they've received those votes and then they produce an outcome. It is not up to them on January 6th to dispute those electoral votes constitutionally. And so I, 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 I agree kind of with, with what they're saying, but I would blame Trump in a different way because Again, I don't think that he wanted them to go and overturn the election. He wanted the crowd to go to the Capitol to, in essence, make their voices heard through sheer numbers. If you look at a Capitol window and you see tens and tens of thousands of people, well, you know, I, I would probably be a little intimidated too. So I don't know. I don't know how to how to how to take that from from this point to impeachment, because again, you can't prove intent in in this case. Um, Anyways, my grievance with that quote is what about the Democrats refusing to acknowledge 2016? Hillary Clinton over and over again that Biden shouldn't concede under any circumstances in 2020. Is that not the same thing? All of any, any results from what Donald Trump and his team of lawyers were saying, which I agree was extremely infuriating in the time because it was like every single week it's like look look to monday huge bombshell and, and then nothing happens i agree that they i believe they bear some responsibility for um just getting people worked up ultimately we're all still individuals who are responsible for our own decisions so i don't believe that they incited violence but i think they contributed to the environment politically pushed a small port a small percentage of the conservative or right wing or whatever population you want to call it pushed them over the edge 
So I think they should bear responsibility politically in that if they, their, their reputation has now been tarnished, obviously throwing them in prison legally, it doesn't work. I'm sorry. But the, the, the difference between the Democrats refusing to acknowledge Trump in 2016 and then pushing Biden not to acknowledge if Trump had won in 2020 difference between that and what Donald Trump did is that people actually believed Trump and the responsibility for people having the capacity to believe Trump at that time was exacerbated by the Democrats refusing to even acknowledge even the idea of election fraud, consequential or not. And, and that was my biggest beef. You know, it would have been one thing if the Democrats had come out and said, obviously we don't think that we won this election because of fraud, but because of the sheer numbers of people that were doubting the results as split as our country is, could they have not have even acknowledged even the idea of election fraud? Because let's be real with the mark with the argument that, okay, yeah, there was fraud obviously, but not enough to overturn the election Would, would that work you know, in the opposite direction, you know, yeah, sit down Democrats, Democrats. Yeah, we cheated, but uh, we still would have won either way. Yeah, right. That wouldn't work. And it didn't work. It would never work. And it shouldn't work. Personally, that's how I feel. I mean, if, because I get, I understand that there is that line between, okay, of course, every single year, somebody's going to say, well, there was election fraud, but you have to be, if you're honest, you, you know, that this year, the concern was so much heavier and you also have to acknowledge if you're if you're rational that the concern was legitimate when you've got some states that have had mail-in voting for years they have the infrastructure for it and then other states who have never had mail-in voting on mass i understand there's a difference between mail-in voting and absentee voting there ha- there is a legitimate concern when somebody who has never handled mass mail-in voting suddenly saying we're going to allow it because of COVID. I understand you wanting to, but to just overnight say, yeah, just mail in your vote. There's, I believe, legitimate reason for concern there. Understandable enough where the Democrats could have just said, all right, as many times as the Republicans tried and tried to get somebody to look at the election and match signatures and and actually verify these votes, these votes that weren't even folded, that were perfectly marked only for Joe Biden, no, no down ticket. All of those reasons, there were so many points in time where Democrats could have united with Republicans by saying, we disagree with you, but fine, you believe that? Let's look into it. Right up to 10 days before January 20th, Republicans in Congress were saying, give us 10 days to look at this, to, to do everything we can to guarantee. And, and it's not, give us 10 days to overturn the election. That's not what the rational conservative Republican wanted. I, I just wanted to know that my, my vote counted. You know, I'd like to know that, that in, in the age of technology that we are in, that we could at least know that our election results are accurate. I mean, look, Jeff Bezos. Didn't want people doing um, mail-in voting for the, uh, I guess, for the, like a board meeting. Didn't want there to be mail-in voting. Why? Because it's subject to fraud. 
Where was he before the election saying, hey, I wouldn't even cast my own board vote by mail. I would send a proxy, you know, if I can't do it myself. But no, only for him. Another quote, and then I'll jump off of this one because I'm getting pissed off. If large swaths, quoting, of the GOP are going to comprehensively exonerate Trump and their party of any responsibility for the worst assault on our democracy in modern times, it doesn't bode particularly well for its future. So the GOP is doomed. That's the ugly core of the GOP is that we don't care that uh, Donald Trump bears responsibility for the assault on the Capitol on January 6th. We don't care. He's the GOP now, so we're gonna just, we have this undeserved, unwavering. Oh, damn it! The, there's always a word I'm looking for, and I can never unconditional support of Donald Trump, no matter what. False. If Donald Trump did something that we feel is unconstitutional, trust me, we'd be the first to jump on it. Unfortunately, we just dis, we disagree with certain people in the media about one the legitimacy of the, of the Constitution. Many of them believe that it's a dead document and it doesn't represent our times. Conservatives believe that the founders set in a framework that agreed with the times, had a lot of foresight, but then it gave levers of action that can bring it up to speed. But there's just there's people who don't believe that. They, they believe that the, the Constitution's dead and that in order to get what we want, we got to use executive order. we got to circumvent Congress. And that's just not what we want. If the Democrat Party will comprehensively ignore half the country not trusting an election, in spite of the Republicans utilizing every single legal and peaceful option and being shut down, ignored, refused an audience, to me that does not bode well for the Democrat Party. That they are so willing to win a tightly contested election by such a small margin with so much concern about the legitimacy and then expect the losing half of the country to just shut up and go away. That does not bode well. That and everything else that we've been seeing that I've talked about just on this episode, to me, does not bode well for the Democrat Party. Make no mistake, the Democrats are responsible for the rise of Donald Trump. And these actions of trying to impeach an ex-president, which half of the country doesn't even feel as constitutional. All that's going to do is, is further alienate, alienate conservatives, Republicans, just not even the right side, everybody, the rational voter is who we'll call it. It's just going to alienate the rational voter even more from the Democrat party. And the more the Republicans start trying to cave just to go get along with the Democrats, it's going to, it's not going to bode well for them either. And then that's when we see third-party stuff happening. I know everybody hates hearing third-party. A vote for third parties, a vote for Hillary Clinton. How many times did I hear that? I'm sorry. I just, you know, I can't pull the lever for somebody who, well, whatever. All of that being said, I hope you have a good weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to the weekend because I actually took off a little early from work today uh, leading into Valentine's weekend. And I took off all day Monday because I'm hoping Sunday's going to be a late night, you know. Anyways, <laughs> um, so I hope you have a good weekend. Uh, if, if you're able to, you know, take your wife out, take your husband out, do whatever, do it, do something a little special. Um, you know, a lot of people look down on holidays like Valentine's and they're like, well, every day should be Valentine's. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, I get it. 
Unfortunately, it's not. Sorry. Um, but take this one day a year to encourage more than anything. I think people nowadays just need some encouragement. Like, hey, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this and do something a little special. If you're in Texas, especially uh, central-ish, well, I don't know. This may be all over the, the state right now, but we got a, a cold snap. We're actually expecting some snow on Sunday, so I'm hoping that happens. But uh, I'm sure you saw on the news uh, in I think in Fort Worth, there was like a hundred something, 120 something car pile up on a highway because of ice and uh, eight people lost their lives, some more injuries. But, um, a positive note I saw is an article about a nurse who got, she wrecked, she got hit and then she immediately got out of her car, her car and got to work and was helping people. Um, I can't imagine the things that she saw. I've, I've seen car wrecks. I saw one recently actually that I was very up close. Um, and, uh, what's the word involved with <laughs> and just the, the, the few uh, minutes that I was there helping out. Um, saw a lot, I saw a lot of things. I cannot imagine what this lady, um, saw. If you, if you haven't seen the videos, you should watch the videos. There are cars flying over other cars, flipping over. Uh, it was, it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Um, but the positive side is people still want to help. There are some people in this world who, for whatever reason, they're just good people. Um, they see a tragedy, they see a, a bad situation happening, and their immediate response is to help, to spring into action and help, and uh, pass some of their ability on to other people's well-being. And that, to me, is inspiring. So I, I hope to be one of those people. I hope you will be one of those people, even on a very, very small scale, even if it's just being kind to one another, even if it's just holding back on a comment on Facebook or Twitter, you know, just trying to be a little bit of a light turn that snarky uh you would have won that argument tweet into a hey i understand how you're feeling i get that we come from different backgrounds let's just agree to disagree have a great day man you know that i feel like that can do so much for conversations because it's done so much for me when i've been going back and forth with people and then they're just like look dude it, it's it's 5 30 um you're being kind of an asshole so let's just let's back off and and leave the fight for another day and when i see that it's 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 incriminating in a way i feel like oh man well you just called me out but then at the same time i'm relieved because it's you know nobody wants to just be arguing all the time so anyways be kind to one another share some positivity have a good valentine's have a good weekend be safe and we'll see you back here next week i can't promise i will have uh, a monday and wednesday episode next week that was kind of a, a strange thing for this week because there's so much going on We'll see what happens. <laughs> this is exhausting. So uh, one day a week, I will promise you, um, if I'm able, I'll get you a Monday or a, a Wednesday midweek update. So take care. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next time. Oh, and check out Black Rifle Coffee. BlackRifleCoffee.com and check out Cross and Musket on Instagram for some sweet Christian American teas. Have a good weekend. Promo code Insta. Insta.